Welcome to LifeBridge Online and happy Father's Day on this Sunday that we seek to honor our fathers. Hope you enjoyed that video. I'm Pastor Chris and this is our Discovery Hour when we usually have classes for all ages and stages. And it's a time where we seek to bridge the gap between biblical learning and radical living. But right now, we're doing this online, so whether you're watching now with us, which I hope you are, or you're watching on demand, welcome. All are welcome, and we're eager to share the good news of Jesus Christ with everyone. And so right now is that time where I always ask you to like and share and get this out to other people and encourage men and particularly dads uh, as well. And I want to remind you that right now uh, at 9.30 at this time, we have an in-person service with social distancing taking place. In fact, we have two, one at 9.30 and the other one at 11. And so we invite you to come and join us in person. And I realize we realize as a church, not everyone is ready to do that. And so uh, for this time in this season, we will continue to live stream this teaching at 930 and the entire 11 o'clock service will be live streamed as well. Now, last week, we wrapped up our study of the gospel according to Isaiah. And since today is Father's Day, I wanted to focus especially on men, not just dads, but also men's men. And part of that reason is, according to our analytics, we have a high number of men who watch at this time. And so I hope you're going to be encouraged this morning. And I realize that on this Father's Day, it's not all smiles for everyone. Some it brings sadness of heart to think of your father. Maybe you never knew your father, or maybe uh, uh, sadly and tragically your father might have abused you in, in some way. And so there's pain there, and there's wounds there, and there's hurt. Maybe you've always wanted to be a dad, and it hasn't occurred, and it may never happen. And so I don't know what you're feeling this morning, but I know this that we have a God who is larger than our circumstances, and that is good news. We have a God who can literally rebirth you into his family. We have a God who can adopt you as your as his own son or daughter. You can have a heavenly father that loves you perfectly, completely and eternally. I always tell my daughter that I love you imperfectly, my love for you. I will always love you, but it will always be imperfect. But I desire that my love will point you to your heavenly Father who will always love you with a perfect and holy love. You see, on this Father's Day, what a crazy time in our, our country and even in our globe. I mean, we've got COVID-19 still threatening uh, the world and our community. We've got social distancing that is still being in place and just cultural chaos and a true, sincere heart cry for justice and for peace and for reconciliation. And I just want in the midst of this to point you to God 
who can be your heavenly father, a father who is never absent, a father who is never too harsh, who is never too angry, never too busy, a God who is not self-absorbed in his own selfishness. No, it's a God who is holy and forgiving, a God who is steadfast and compassionate, a God who is just and merciful, a God who is the sovereign king over everything and yet a rescuing savior. That's the God that we want to pray to right now. And I just want to offer up a prayer. Join me in prayer and let's pray that we would be drawn to this awesome God. Heavenly Father, we come and we are privileged, honored, and Lord, may we never take for granted that we can call you, the creator of all things, our Heavenly Father. And I pray that this Sunday, this day that is recognized as a time to honor dads, that Lord, you would draw hearts through this message, that you would draw people through your word, men, women, young, old, that they would find in you and your son the kind of acceptance, the kind of love, the kind of forgiveness and healing that only you can bring through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 through 14. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 through 14. And follow along with me in your Bibles. I'm going to be reading for the New American Standard. But whatever Bible you have, let's, let's look at these two verses. Here, Paul says to the Corinthians, Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. And if you notice in that first verse, maybe some of your Bibles, instead of act like men, you may have be courageous, be brave. We'll look at that and explain that as we get into this. But I just want to say, as we get into this, and get into this study. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible for two reasons. First of all, it speaks directly to everyone in the church about being a mature church that is mighty for God. But it also speaks especially to men. And here's my goal today, to challenge you from the Word of God, from these two verses, to be mighty men for our mighty God, mighty men for our mighty God. And that kind of raises a question that I want to just uh, address quickly. That is, what kind of men are mighty men of God? And I just want to say briefly three things about that. First of all, it's the kind of men that men want to be deep down in their hearts, but they often don't talk about it, and they often don't know what steps to take. This is the kind of man that God has designed you to be. It's the kind of man that others want to follow. Your spouse, your children, the people in our church. It is men who are mighty in their influence as leaders. And it's the kind of men 
who follow hard after God and they lead others to do the same. It's men who are mighty for God and His purposes and His people. And let me just say this, such men are hard to find, but they are easy to follow. Hard to find, but easy to follow. Jesus was such a man, and men, women, children, young, old, those who were religious, those who were hypocrites, those who were hardened sinners, they found it easy to follow him. They were drawn to him. These are the kind of men that draw others to themselves and to their God instead of driving the people around them away from themselves and away from their God. Let me just say this. Now, more than ever, we need mighty men of God who step up and step forward to be the men that God created them to be and Christ has saved them to be. There is hope for every man listening today. You can be a mighty man for God. But that also raises another question. What is a man? What is masculinity? Now, again, if you just heard that sound, that was a can of worms I just opened by simply asking that question. But it's okay. There's confusion in our culture. And sadly, there's even confusion in our churches about femininity and masculinity. In fact, Bible pastor, pastor and author, author Ray Ortland said this, manliness has taken a beating in our modern world. It is often either denied or distorted. It's difficult even mentioning manliness without turning it into a joke somehow. And we see that so prevalent in our culture. But we as Christians are often as guilty and confused about what is masculinity. We often turn to the culture instead of our Bibles. We often turn or rely on our traditions instead of the Bible. We often react to our upbringing instead of going to our Bibles. So is there hope? Is there an alternative to this confusion? And I would say to you, yes, there is. And it's found in the beginning. In the beginning, in Genesis 1 and 2, in the beginning, God created them male and female, and he saw that it was good. From the beginning to the end of the Bible, God helps us understand what mankind is as male and female. And so here's a definition of masculinity that I think it holds up to the Bible. It's relevant to the world we live in, and it, it, it's hope. There's hope in this definition, and here it is. Masculinity is the courage to take the initiative to lead, love, provide, and protect others with the character that God requires and supplies for His glory and the good of others. And those others are especially women, children, those who are in need, and it's even the body of the local church. 
You see, masculinity is the courage to be the man God has created you to be and Christ has died and rose from the dead to enable you to be. It's driven less by cultural demands and more by creation design. It reflects the culture. Masculinity takes on, femininity takes on the cultural surroundings. It reflects the culture, but ultimately it's redeemed by Christ to conform us to God's character. And here in 1 Corinthians 6, 16 rather, 13 and 14, the Apostle Paul provides a simple summary that I think supports the definition of masculinity I just gave you, but it also is a summary of what it takes to be a mighty man of God who models biblical masculinity and mature manhood. And so let's begin by just making five initial observations. So I just want to just look at these verses. We're at the end of 1 Corinthians. I want to give you five observations. And the first is this. These are five gracious commands. They are five gracious commands. Let me give you a little bit of the context of the letter, of these commands in the context of the letter. Paul is concluding his lengthy letter to a confused, a carnal, and a conflicted church at Corinth. A church that was struggling to be like Christ in the midst of a very corrupt and immoral culture, a culture very much like what our culture is and is becoming. These five commands strategically summarize everything that Paul has been teaching in the letter. As you know, 1 Corinthians, they had a lot of problems, so there's a lot of uh, correcting and negativity and sense of rebuking and correcting. But here, Paul is giving five positive commands that kind of summarize, here's what you need to be doing. But what I want you to see is the grace in these commands for our lives. Listen, we need to think about these commands in light of God's grace. I have no desire on this Father's Day to burden you with a to-do list that might puff up your pride, hey, look, I can do this, or would burden you with the, the guilt of legalism and despairing, oh, I can't do this. And there's no hope for me. Instead, when God gives commands to his people, they're meant to remind us that we can't do this in our own power. We need his grace to obey these commands. In fact, in your Bibles, look at the next to the last verse in chapter 16. Look at verse 23. What does Paul say in that verse? He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. And in fact, Every letter of Paul, practically every one, there's, there's one or two exceptions. They begin with grace to you and they end with grace be with you. And in between are the commands like these five commands. So listen, men, right off the bat, I want to encourage you. Don't shrink back from God's commands, from obeying them, but also 
Don't try to tackle them in, the own, in your own power, in the power of the flesh. Instead, let these commands remind you that God always gives what God requires. God always gives what God requires. And what He gives is amazing, abundant grace. The power and desire to do what God requires. Listen, guys. We can be mighty men. Why? Because we have a mighty God with abundant grace. First observation. Second observation is this. These commands are all in the present tense. They're all in the present tense. And what that means is these are commands that we are to start doing and then keep on doing. Whether you you haven't been doing them, the idea is start doing them. If you have done them, keep on doing them. Keep on continually obeying these commands. Not just as men, but also every one of us in our church, everyone who is in Christ. And that brings me to the third observation, and it's this. These five commands are addressed to the entire church, but especially they are relevant to men. You see, God is telling all his people to obey these commands, not just the men, but they're addressed to the entire church, which this letter is being read to. And while men are obviously to act like men, as this command says, the idea here is that the entire church is to take on some of the attributes and the actions of godly men as God designed them. Now, don't freak out about that, as some do, because elsewhere we're told as a church to take on some of the attributes and actions of women. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians, in one chapter, Paul says, I was like a father exhorting you with firmness and in love, but also I was tender towards you like a mother. Here, though, God is focusing on we as a church need to take on some of the attitudes, some of the actions of godly men. Now, that means, wives, you should listen today. I hope you haven't already left. I hope you're taking notes. Why? Because you can be a mighty woman of God by obeying these commands. But I would also like you to think in terms of how can I encourage my spouse? How can I honor him, respect him, and encourage and pray for him to be this kind of man? Singles, listen, these commands are not dependent on your marital status or your gender. You can be mighty singles for God, but it also helps you to think about what kind of men I should be befriending. Who, what kind of men do I want to have close company with? Church, all ages, all stages. I want to encourage you, if you're older this morning, do not coast into heaven. We need to continually obey these commands as a church, but especially as men. Number four, fourth observation is this. The first four commands are often used as military terms. 
Now, that's significant because being a mighty man for God puts you on the front line of spiritual warfare. You see, if we're going to be the mighty men that God wants us to be, that Jesus saved us to be, that the Spirit empowers us to be, that the church encourages us to be, and the kind of men that the world needs us to be, then we got to get ready to go to war with the devil, with our own flesh, our sin nature, and with the world system around us. Listen, we've got an enemy above us in the devil. We've got an enemy within us our sin nature, our flesh, and we have an enemy that is around us, this worldly system that works against biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. And so in these four commands, the first two are defensive. Watch and stand firm. Don't be moved. The second two commands are offensive. Go on the initiative, act like men, and be strong in doing what pleases God. And that brings me to the final observation, and it's this. Taken together, these five commands are masculine in tone, have a military edge to them, and a maturity focus. Masculinity, military and maturity. That's kind of the atmosphere of these commands. When he says act like men, guys, he means act like men and not little kids. Be mature. Grow up. Get out of immaturity spiritually and emotionally and even relationally if you need to. But it also means we are to act like men and not like women in this area of taking the lead and of being an example to the people around us. You see, God wants His church to be filled with mature men who are mighty for Him and His purposes. And I want to help you. I want God to help you. I want Him to help me this morning. So let's dive in to these five commands and and take them as a challenge this morning to be a mighty man for God. And here's the first command. The first command is this, stay alert in prayer. Stay alert in prayer. New American Standard says, be on the alert. Uh, ESV says, be watchful. The NIV says, be on your guard. It's the idea of being spiritually alert. In fact, the Puritans called this idea watchfulness watchfulness. And they practiced it as a spiritual discipline. I mean, I, I, I just read this book last year uh, and that, that I, did, I never thought of watchfulness or alert, spiritual alertness as a spiritual discipline. But the Puritans did. And in fact, they saw watchfulness as the key spiritual discipline to every other discipline. In other words, If you don't stay spiritually alert, you're going to fall asleep in prayer. You're going to grow lax in your Bible reading. You're going to, you're going to, any other spiritual discipline requires a watchfulness. I love that. Here's a definition 
from this book. The book is Holy Helps for a Godly Life. And the definition is this. Watchfulness is a careful observing of our hearts and a diligent looking to our ways. So it's being alert to what's going on inside of us and how we're living around us and what's happening outside of us. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Psalm 39.1 says, I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth as with a muzzle. And so it's being alert and carefully observing and watching for ways that the devil, the flesh, and the system of this world is influencing my heart in the ways I live my life. Here's the bottom line, guys. Mighty men of God are not spiritual sluggards. They stay awake spiritually, and they always stay on guard against whatever would cause them or their family spiritual harm. Here's the idea. It's not just watching out for sin. It's not just watching out for the big sins. Oh, okay, I don't do the big sins. You know, I, I, you know, no one's confronting me. No one's seeing me doing these big things. No, it's watching your heart. What's going on? How am I drifting? How am I being deceived? What might be leading me in small steps to spiritual destruction? And it may not be sin. It may be good things that are coming between you and God. Well, we need to be aware of this because we have an enemy, the devil. Listen to 1 Peter 5.8. It says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. There's the word. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. We're going to see, stand firm is the next command of Paul. This is Peter, Peter and Paul, Holy Spirit, influencing them both to write what God wants us to hear. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Guys, stay spiritually alert. You say, Chris... What's the secret to that? How do I do it? Well, prayer is the secret to staying spiritually alert. And probably the key verse that teaches that is Ephesians 6.18. Listen to what Paul says in the context of Ephesians 6, which is spiritual warfare. Here's what he says. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Now, here's the practical application, one of them, of that verse. We pray to stay alert, and we must stay alert in our prayer. In fact, this relationship between prayer and being watchful, Prayer and being sleepy physically and spiritually is wonderfully taught us in Matthew 26, 38. 
Again, the context, the night before going to the cross, spiritual warfare. Jesus is about to face the greatest temptation in his entire life to avoid the cross. And here's what Jesus said to his three closest disciples. My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Well, what's he mean? He's not just saying, look out, they're going to arrest me. He's saying, watch with me by praying with me, intercede with me. And of course, you know, after an hour of praying, he came back to his disciples and found them what? Sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Could you not pray with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. So here's what I want to give you. I want to give you three specific prayers. Each of these uh, specific things to pray are based on verses that talk about prayer and staying alert. So here they are, and they're up here. You can see them in your notes. Pray that you won't let your guard down to temptation. That's what Jesus was telling his disciples there on the night before he went to the cross. But this is also what he taught you and I to pray every day. When the disciples said, teach us to pray. He said, this is how you pray. And one of the requests was Matthew 6, 13 And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so you could pray Psalm 141, verse 3. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips. Lord, help me to not sin in word or deed. Guard my heart. Guys, let me just say this. And it may be hard to hear. And I need to hear this. We need to hear this. An active prayer life is the key to being spiritually alert and avoiding temptation. You will never avoid the traps that the devil has set. You won't see them coming. You're going to step right into it unless you have an active prayer life. Secondly, pray that you'll remain alert to opportunities for evangelism. Uh, when I worked in the, in, in the workplace, uh, I would miss evangelistic opportunities, and I would see them, whoo, as they passed by me. At the end of the day, when I dro- rode the bus home to the apartment that Gwen and I had in Dallas, I would think, there's a missed opportunity, there's a missed opportunity. And things didn't change, Until I began to pray in the morning, Lord, let me be alert to the opportunities and the people. And that's exactly what Paul tells the Colossians to do. He says, continue in Colossians 4, 2 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And then he goes on and he says, seek to be wise. Well, all that comes through prayer. And then thirdly, pray that you will be spiritually ready for Christ's return. Man, in Mark chapter 13, 
Jesus gives this parable about a master who puts his servants in charge of his house. He leaves and then he says, look, the master's going to come back at a time that you don't know. And three times in that parable, he tells the servants, be alert, stay awake, be ready. Listen, Jesus' return is going to be soon, it's going to be sudden, and it's going to be sure. God help us, by His grace, not to be found sleeping when He comes. Not to be found entangled in habitual sin. Not to be found AWOL in our ministries for the Lord. Not to be found missing in action. Listen, dads, men, don't stop looking, longing, and living for the second coming and lead your family to do the same. Well, there's more we could say to that in the notes that you can download. I have practical things under each of these commands for you to follow. But let's go to the second command, and it's this. Mighty men of God stay alert by standing firm in the word. Notice what it says in verse 13. Stand firm in the faith. First thing I want you to see is we have to decide, well, what kind of faith is this? Is he telling us to stand firm in our own faithfulness to the Lord? Or is he telling us to stand firm in the faith once delivered to the saints? In other words, is he saying stand firm in the doctrine, the sound doctrine and the gospel? And I would say to you, he's saying the latter. He, there's a definite article he's saying stand firm in the faith, the gospel you've been taught, the sound doctrine you have heard preached. Stand firm in that. Well, here's the answer to that. Applying God's word. What's the secret to standing firm? Applying God's word is the secret to standing firm in the faith. Applying God's word is the secret to standing firm in the faith. And I just want to give you two practical things, guys, and it's this. Learn it to live it. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. You've got to learn it to live it. You've got to study it to stand firm in it. And here's what 2 Timothy 3, 16 says. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, the mighty man of God, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And guys, here's, you say, I, I, you know, I didn't go to Bible college. I, I, I'm, I'm not you know, a great student of things. That's okay. Take these four words And as you read your Bible, simply ask four questions. And you can ask this. What is God teaching me? That's teaching. What is God correcting or rebuking me about in this passage? Three, how is he teaching me to correct my wrong behavior, my wrong attitude, my wrong thinking? And fourth, 
What new habit do I need to establish or what new promise do I need to claim or what new attribute of God do I need to meditate on? Guys, you've got to learn it to live it. But secondly, you've got to live it to last in it. Listen, if you're going to continue to stand firm, then you've got to go from just hearing to being a doer of the word. You've got to go from just taking notes and listen to to, uh, your pastors preach or teach, and you've got to begin to apply these things. Here's what 1 Timothy 4.16 says. It says, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching, the doctrine, the faith, that which you believe. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. 1 Timothy 4.16. It always grabs my heart. You see, we so individualize the doctrine, the faith, our salvation. And we think, I'm the only one that matters. You know, I'm the only one impacted by what I believe. And this says, no, no, your own salvation hangs in the balance, but also the people that you are influencing and that you are teaching. So here's the idea. Stand firm in your convictions, what you believe, and stand firm in your character, how you live. Convictions and character, beliefs and behavior. Stand firm in these things. You know, I like 2 Thessalonians 2.15. Paul tells this young church in 2 Thessalonians 2.15. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by spoken word, preaching and teaching, what we're doing right now, or... By our letter, and those letters are now found in the Bible. So look, stand firm on the sound doctrine you hear and the sound doctrine you read. Men, listen, let's face it. Being a man is not getting any easier in our culture. And being a dad is not getting any easier. Guys, it takes hard work. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. And a lot of that work, well, all of that work happens after your work. And that's the key. But listen, guys, when you stand firm in the word, it isn't always going to be popular with your wife. It isn't always going to be popular with your kids. And so what I want to encourage you to do, when, you, when I say stand firm, I mean stand firm even when your kids push back for the wrong reasons. Now, let me be careful here. If you're being an idiot, stop being an idiot. Kids push back against dads who do dumb things. You know, if you're being a bore or a tyrant or a dictator, stop it. That's going to drive your kids away. But I'm saying when to the best of your ability, you're trying to be a godly man and teach biblical principles, center your family around biblical principles, and you're getting pushback. And you will get pushback from your kids. They will test you. Listen, dads, when you feel all alone, 
stand firm. Stand firm. And if you need encouragement, come to me. Come to Pastor Bruce. Come to, to our church. We will encourage one another in these things. As I said in the notes, I've got some practical ways for you to put that into your life. But let me move on to the third challenge, and it's this. Step forward in obedience. Step forward in obedience. And here we come in verse 13 to that great command, act like men. Or maybe your Bible says, show courage. Or be courageous. Or the New King James says, be brave. Well, be bold, be brave, be courageous. I personally like, act like men. It's an action thing. It's something that draws us as men into that. But here's the point. This word is a unique word. It's only found once here in the New Testament, but it's used many times in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and it has the idea of encouraging people, but especially soldiers, to act with courage and strength in obedience to the Lord with confidence in His power. In other words, it literally means, guys, man up. Step forward in obedience to God, no matter who's against you, no matter how weak you may feel, no matter how much the odds are against you, act like a man. Step forward in obedience. Now, you might be saying right now, if you're a lady, is this only for men? Is God a chauvinist? You know, I don't know if I like that translation. I think I like the other translation. Be brave. Be courageous. Well, listen. God's not being a chauvinist, and those both the translations are, are, are good and they're accurate. Men are to be bold initiators. They're to be brave leaders. They're to be courageous influencers. And here's the good news. Every believer, man or woman, young or old, it doesn't matter who you are. If you intend to become the mighty man or mighty woman God wants you to be, you're going to have to be brave. And you're going to have to take the initiative to start your own spiritual growth. I can't do it for you. Your spouse can't do it for you. Your parents can't do it for you. Us as pastors can't do it for you. You've got to Act like a man in the sense of be brave and bold and courageous and step forward in obedience to what God has for you. Well, turn to Joshua chapter 1. I want you to turn to Joshua chapter 1. And I just want to show you one of those Old Testament passages that emphasize this idea of being strong and courageous. It's a it's a familiar passage. Joshua chapter 1 verses 5 through 9. Follow along with me in your Bibles. Here's what God is saying to Joshua and he's on the threshold of stepping forward to conquer the promised land. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life just as I have been with Moses I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong 
and courageous. There's the idea of courageous. And isn't it interesting that back in uh, 1 Corinthians 16, we're going to find be strong following right after this idea of be courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful. Do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. In other words, stand firm in the word. Do not turn from the right or the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Step forward in obedience. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, it's amazing that he's saying this. And David, David said something very similar to his son Solomon. Before uh, David was about to die and he's passing his kingship on to his son. And listen to 1 Kings 2.1. Here's what David says. At David's, as David's time to draw near, he charged Solomon his son saying this, I am going the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. What's he saying? Well, he follows that up with, listen to God's word, obey God's word, walk in God's word. It's this idea. What's the secret? To stepping forward, take the initiative to follow Christ. Take the initiative to follow Christ is the secret. And so, like Joshua, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Like Joshua, take, uh, like Joshua, risk taking the initiative to obey God. You say, but if I obey God in, in the area of giving, how am I going to make my bills? If I obey God in the area of witnessing, what may happen to my job? If I obey God, what happens if my friends or my spouse forsake me? Listen, you've got to take a risk to step forward. And here's the assurance from Joshua 1. God, if he commanded it, he will be with you. If he commanded it, he will be with you because God has promised to never leave us or forsake us. Guys, don't shrink back in fear from stepping forward for God. There is no need to stay discouraged, defeated, or depressed. Hey, we all have been there. I find myself there. And it's a constant temptation you will get discouraged. You will feel defeated. You might be depressed. But listen, you don't have to stay that way. Take a risk and step forward in obedience. And then secondly, like Joshua, stay alert in prayer and stand firm in the word to step forward in obedience. You know what's amazing? I just got done reading through the book of Joshua here recently. And I'm telling you what, Joshua stepped forward and they conquered and they conquered 
And they conquered and they conquered. Why? Because he stood firm in the word and he stayed alert in prayer. But you know what? There's one time in the book of Joshua when Joshua, due to his own fault, was defeated and deceived in battle. And you know what he failed to do? He failed to pray. He failed to pray. So, guys, count the cost, pay the price, reap the reward. Do what's right, even if your family chooses not to follow. You'll be surprised how God can work in hearts and how you can influence your family and those around you. Here's the fourth command, and it's this. Seek strength in the Lord. Seek strength in the Lord. Uh, New American Standard back here. Translate this. Translate it as be strong. In fact, all the English translations do. But what's interesting about that word there for strength, it's in the middle voice. And it, it, it means literally be strengthened. So it's not buck up and be strong in your own power. No, it's submit to the Lord and allow Him to strengthen you. And you know what's amazing? Again, David is such a model of this idea. In 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, listen to the situation David found himself in. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. Okay, that's pretty serious, all right? His own people, soldiers, followers, let's stone David. We're not happy with him. For all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. But David, and here's what David did. David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. You see, he strengthened himself. No one else could do it for him. But he didn't do it in his own power. He strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. And as I've already said, he encouraged his own son, Solomon, to do the same. Well, what's the secret to seeking strength from the Lord? It's this, trusting in the gospel. Trusting in the Lord and what he has already provided. And so I have there for you, in your notes, two ways that you can be strengthened in the Lord. And it goes back to prayer again. The first is pray for understanding of the power you already have in the resurrected Lord. You say, Chris, I don't, how do I pray that? Well, just pray Ephesians 1, 18 through 23. Paul prays that the Ephesians would grow in understanding of the resurrection power they already had in Christ. Then in chapter 3 of Ephesians, he says this, Pray that the spirit you already have will strengthen your inner man. Guys, if you are in Christ this morning, you've already got all the power, resurrection power, all the strength, spirit, strength it's already in you by virtue of being in christ but you've got to pray and you've got to appropriate 
And you've got to stand firm in these promises. Well, that brings us to the last command, and it's this. And by, by all means, it's not the least of the commands. It's the one that ties them all together. Saturate everything with love. Saturate everything with love. It has its own verse. Verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. Now, once again, the way this verse is translated and the way we understand it is important. The idea is not merely do everything in love. I mean, yeah, you can translate it that way. The Christian Standard Bible does. But the emphasis is on letting whatever you are doing be done in love. So the idea is this, and men, we need to hear this. It's not so much what you are doing, but it's how you are doing it. Whatever you do, make sure you are doing it from love, with love, and for Love Whatever, let all that you do be done, be ruled by, be wrapped up in love. Now, I'm reading this book, Designed for Joy. And I would just encourage you to get this book, buy it today. The first three chapters alone, that's as far as I've read, are worth the price of the book. I promise you, Designed for Joy. And I read a chapter by Jonathan Parnell, and here's the title of the chapter. You'll know why I read it. Being a man and acting like one. And I just want to borrow heavily from what uh, Jonathan Parnell wrote there and what he has to say about this verse. And here's what he said. Paul is anchoring masculinity in the most basic calling of every human. The calling to love. Listen, that's not something the world understands or is able to do. Masculinity, then, is more than how a man should act. It's an expression of a man's love. And its, dis- its dis- distinguishing feature is self-sacrificing leadership. In a phrase, masculinity is gladly assuming sacrificial responsibility. You see, mighty men of God exchange the world's lust after instant gratification for the deeper joy of finding our pleasure in the pleasures of the ones we love. It isn't easy, Parnell says, and none of us will be perfect at it. But this is what it means to be the man and act like a man. You see, the secret to being a mighty man of God is saturate everything with love. You see, 1 Corinthians 13 reminds us of this. Paul says in this very book, he tells the Corinthians, Look, you can have all the spiritual gifts. You can perform mighty miracles. You can have all biblical knowledge. But listen, if you don't have love, then you're just a clanging pot. You're an empty vessel. 
and you are a clanging cymbal that is just making noise and you have gained nothing. You see, guys, ultimately the reality is this. Mighty men saturate everything with love. And so I want to invite you to do two simple things today. First of all, if you've never done it, accept the love of God that He has for you that comes through His Son, Jesus Christ. Not just as a Savior, but as your King. Accept the love of God, the fact that His Son lived the perfect life that you're required to it before your Creator, but none of us have done. He did it for you out of love. Accept the death, the perfect substitution of His righteousness for your sinfulness. Accept His resurrection power and how He can grant you a new heart and a new life. Accept Him as your deliverer and your King. But if you've already accepted Him and His love, then grow in that. Grow in your love for others so that you love in the way that God has loved you in Christ. Again, referencing Jonathan Parnell in in the book, Designed for Joy, I want to end with this. We must remember that God has not left us with a mere profile of manhood, but He's given us an actual person. We have a flawless example of what true manhood looks like in the life of Jesus Christ. This example in particular is seen in the way that He loved His bride, the church, a way that men are commanded to emulate. Jesus embodied the masculine call and stands as the great example of true manhood. Listen, if anyone ever gladly assumed sacrificial responsibility and manned up and acted like a man and stepped up and was the man, it was Jesus. He looked at the joy that was set before him And he stepped forward in obedience and he went to the cross and suffered not only spiritual suffering, but eternal judgment in our place, in your place. He drained the cup that only he could drink. He assumed the weight of our sins on his shoulders to pave the path for a new humanity and secure our everlasting good. Jesus is the man, the true and better man, who exemplifies and empowers us to walk in his steps and as each of us embrace our God-given design and the God-given grace to live it out, to be the man, to act like one. Listen, given God's grace in our spirit-empowered practice, and learning from the godly example around us. Listen, guys, any man, regardless of his past failures, 
can grow more and more into this role. And we answer the call to be mighty men, not once upon a time in the past, not later down the road, but right now, today, answer the call to be a mighty man of God. If you're making that decision today, if you need help with that decision today, then fill out the connection card that's in the comments and realize that what the church and the world needs more than ever is you as a man to be a mature man who is mighty for God and his purposes and his people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the eternal, perfect, heavenly Father. We thank you that you loved us. You loved a world in rebellion to you so much that you sent your only begotten Son, that unique Son of God. You offered him up and he voluntarily offered himself out of a love for you and a desire to glorify you and a desire to call out a people to himself. And so, Lord, on this Father's Day, we are reminded that every father takes his name from you. And we are reminded that we are not your children until we step from unbelief to belief, until we step from light, from darkness into light, And when we acknowledge that we can't do it, we are sinners in need of a Savior. We're rebels in need of a King. Oh, Father, save, sanctify, and make us men who are mighty for you and mighty for the people you have placed in our lives. We pray these things in the wonderful name of of Jesus. Amen. Hey, look forward to seeing you same time or catch us in in-person worship services at 9 or 11. God bless you.